the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game... This year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv. An unmatched dual threat. The New Orleans Pelicans Zion Williamson. And Holiday with a triple penetration. So tough going to the goal. Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg. And this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know, brought to you by Deal Dash and Sunday NFL Ticket, as well as BetOnline.ag. So, thank you to our sponsors who have beautifully sponsored this podcast, where we talk about how the Pelican season is quickly over as <laughs> soon as it began. Mason, you know, we didn't even have a chance to talk about actual like bubble gameplay before the Pelicans found themselves eliminated before this all started. Would you, if I told you the Pelicans were eliminated, eliminated <laughs> by game six, like what would have been your reaction? Uh, <laughs> um, so that would have been bad, obviously. Not like catastrophic because, I mean, we all knew the early games were the harder ones. So like if you told, I mean, I think most people would have expected the last couple of games against the Kings and then against the, uh, the Magic 
to hopefully be wins just either based on t- uh, talent level or where you thought those teams were going to be at the end of it. But I mean, like, still, it's bad. Like, I, I think you, everyone was expecting this team to uh, be right there for the uh, for, for the ninth seed, even if they weren't going to get the eighth from the Grizzlies. Um, it, I, I always thought it was going to be them or Portland with Sacramento as a, as a possibility. Um, so this sucks. Um, I mean, big picture, whatever. Um, and I, and I, we'll get into it, but it's the, the most disappointing thing to me is just like how the team looked at, in terms of like their, their effort level, not, not as much the fact that they were just bad. Well, it's pathetic. Cause now you got these two games that don't matter at all. And Zion's clearly not going to play in them. So that's also an issue in and of itself. But yep. after those two games are over, the NBA is so disrespectful that they're going to kick you out immediately. You will hop in the shower after the game, and they're like, get your ass on a bus. Get the hell out of this bubble. Thank you for the ratings, <laughs> Mr. Zion Williamson. And, you know, the Pelicans were used. They were used. Used. <laughs> they were. They were used for their ratings, and then they flubbed. The, the funny thing is, like, they had every opportunity. They had every single opportunity to do well, and they just did not want to. And it was a lot, to me, it was a lot of the same problems and same issues that were persistent throughout the year, especially in December when they lost 13 straight. We had a couple podcasts where we talked about, you know, these guys don't have fight in them. They don't have the Mm -hmm. dog in them, and they don't have, you know, like there was all this talk around that time of there not being an alpha, and that was related to their poor clutch performance but yeah you know it, it's it's not dissimilar here because they just showed no willpower and i think that's a huge problem yeah and obviously and we're gonna let's just go let's just dive right into this so yeah what what colors this conversation is alvin gentry right mm-hmm. and reports have basically come out everyone's all but saying he is fired mm-hmm. so I think it would be safe for us to assume that he's no longer coming back. I think that is the smart assumption here. If Woj is reporting that Ty Lue and Jason Kidd are in the conversation, Will Guillory reported it's the worst kept secret in media that, you know, Alvin Gentry is on the outs. And it's true. It is the worst kept secret. <laughs> it's the worst kept secret. And it's been that way since like March. Yeah. You know, and it's not even new. It's not like these eight, eight games here had anything to do with it. People are going to be like, well, uh, Alvin was sabotaged by this whole burst in the Zion integration and all of that. No, the, the decision was made before, before this. Well, um, look, yeah. But, like, it, I, I think maybe the only thing you could have even envisioned saving him would be, like, probably, like, not even just, like, pushing the Lakers in a first-round series. Like, maybe just beating the Lakers is the only thing that was going to save Gentry at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think short of a miracle where they, like, made the finals. <laughs> Damn. In any case, this was expected because we've both talked about how Alvin was just a temporary fix. You know, we, we weighed the pros and cons of moving on from Alvin immediately when Griff was hired versus moving on later down the line when – you know, when he was done acting as a bridge to kind of control the turnover, uh, the amount of change that happened all in one season. And I think there was merits on both sides of that conversation. And I think this was basically 
Griff saying to Gail, all right, I gave your guy a shot for a year. You know, Alvin had a lot of political sway with Gail Benson. Mm -hmm. And this was this acknowledgement, this tacit acknowledgement, because throughout the GM or president interview process before Griff was hired, one of the key questions they asked repeatedly is how do you see yourself working with Alvin? (laughs) That was, that was asked by ownership and the ownership group. And so I believe this was Griff's way of like, all right, yeah, look, I worked with Alvin in the past and I enjoy working with him and I'm willing to give this a shot. But, you know, if things aren't the way they are, I also want the power to make a change. And I do believe Griff has that power. And I do believe that we're going to see a change, although it will be interesting to see how the the political relationship between Alvin and Gail Benson plays out. Yeah, but and like... So there, there was that. There's like the underlying uh, conversations that were had when we were looking for to replace Del Demps about the head coaching spot. But also, you know, pow, uh, credit to to Gail, even though she was kind of just going to bat for for Gentry. She also, I mean, they didn't, unless I'm misremembering, they didn't have to pick up his option, right? They could have just said, you know, you've got this one year, and we'll figure out the year after the year, right? And they picked up his option for next season. And so, like, if they fire him. He's getting paid for next year. And so, I mean, Gail knew this. And so, and, and, you know, and so it's not like they're just like, you know, Gail didn't tell him or wasn't pinching pennies on this to, to try to, you know, just do whatever was best for this year and then figure it out later. Like they did pick up his option and clearly Griffith has the ability to let him go and pay that money and still go get a new coach if, if, if that's the direction they go. Yeah, which is – I think that's an interesting conversation because I do think the option was picked up for the reason that Griff mentioned. You want to have this fearless Alvin, an Alvin who doesn't know the ax is coming, right? And and the ability to not really worry about your employment status and be financially secure is, is pretty big for a coach because of all this change that had happened. You don't want to be constantly looking over your shoulder. Well, as the year kind of went on and the Pelicans underperformed, that – that ax was pretty prominent behind his shoulder and, and the seat got really warm. And like Will Guillory said, it was the worst kept secret in media that Alvin was basically on the outs. And so what I'm interested in is if it was the worst kept secret in media, did it get back to the players where the players aware of it to me? I find it hard for the players not to be aware of something like that. And how does that impact their play in the bubble? You know, how does that that impact their response? Is it kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Well, this guy is on the way out. Why should I really tune into this? Yeah, but so why would the, I guess I I don't really know why the players would, would decide how hard they wanted to play one way or the other, just because of what the head coach the status of the head coach, right? Like, unless they're all pissed that Gentry's out and want to, like, send the message, which also seems kind of strange. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard for me to construct an argument that tie, significantly ties the player's level of effort in the bubble to Alvin Gentry's coaching status, assuming they, they knew his fate. So, I don't know. Like, it's, it's just hard for me. What's, what's the thought process there in your mind? I don't have one because I think okay. their effort level – is directly related to who they are as people. <laughs> I agree. And, and, and look, I want to be very clear on this. I cannot blame any human or individual for prioritizing other things 
that they want to prioritize rather than their job, right? Especially young 20 something year old millionaires who they have the whole world available to them at their fingertips. So why, you know, if, if they don't prioritize, you know, if, if basketball is just a job to them, a means to an end, I cannot blame that. And well, also, we have to incorporate what's going on in the, uh, like externally right now. Exactly. Right? We're not, yeah. We're exactly. Not but the thing with these, these players is before all this external stuff started, this was there. And it was there when, when they lost 13 games in a row. You know, the, this, yep. I, they, these players are such that, you know, like if I were to ask a, a random Pelican player, hey, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the opponent that you're guarding? And without looking at a scouting report, virtually none of them would be able to tell you because they don't watch basketball. The players, you know, there's like three or four of them that genuinely enjoy basketball and they consume it, uh, JJ being one of them. And but the others, they just they just don't care about this beyond showing up to practice and playing the games and you know making a couple highlight plays and and obviously collecting a big paycheck because that's that's what they're interested in. And Josh feels like one of them. Is that fair? Um, I feel like I feel like I feel like Josh has a very good understanding of who he is as an individual and and what he wants out of life. <laughs> and and I think he has a good balance between, you know, I'm I'm playing hard. I know this is what's going to employ me, and I can also enjoy myself in things like Call of Duty and podcasting and wine yeah. and all those other things. I think I think Josh finds a good balance. Um, yeah, fair but you know, like it's also a young team where a guy like Jackson Hayes, he's supposed to be in a dorm room playing video games right now. He's supposed to be playing Fortnite. You know, like he's in the NBA because that was the best financial option for that. 19 year old at that time he was the eighth overall pick he's gonna he's guaranteed millions of dollars it'd be stupid to turn that down right but he has the mental headspace of a of a college kid who's supposed to be out drinking with friends and you know worrying about papers and playing Fortnite. it's difficult to expect those guys to be gung-ho like cp3 or or even Rondo, you know, Draymond, those guys that just consume the game. They know everything about the opponent. They know all the plays. They memorize everything. People like those guys are rare in any profession. You know, guys that go above and beyond their normal duty, they're rare in any profession. So, like, again, this is me being abundantly clear that I don't blame the players for being like this. But the flip side of this is it's maddening as a coach. It's maddening as a GM to work with guys who just don't care. You know, like losing doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. And your job status basically depends on the whims of a 20-year-old and whether they're going to try today or not. <laughs> and it sucks. And so I think this team is full of kids that don't care. And I think that has to change. I don't think that's something – I mean, there is a remote possibility you bring in the right coach and the right coaching staff that gets to these guys and that maybe, you know, accelerates the process of these guys caring more than normal maturity might. But I don't know. Greg Popoviches don't grow on trees. <laughs> yeah, Greg Popoviches. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like those guys don't grow on trees and I don't know if any team is actually good at finding – those guys who bring that stuff out, you know, everyone talks about how Tibbs is a hard ass and a great motivator 
and yet Carl Anthony Towns played no defense while Tibbs was there. Andrew Wiggins regressed every single year while Tibbs was there, you know? Um, so I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the thing that brings it out, but it also doesn't mean that you don't try new things just to see if anything might connect sure. to them. But yeah. I think history says these guys don't care about their stuff until like they're 27, 28, 29, and they've had a couple contracts and, and they've been in the league a lot. You know, when you're young, why, why bother? And, and so that's kind of where they're at. And that's kind of how I feel about coaching. But I think, I think there's a severe heart and effort problem on this team and I don't anticipate it changing anytime soon. And I would definitely want roster changes that would address this problem. Okay. So that brings us to the next question of what's the, how, how drastic are we talking here? Like, are we just saying uh, let's turn over the guys that we, you know, are, are, you know, have the opportunity to turn over and replace them. Is it let's, guys under contract let's let's seriously consider moving those guys like like I mean I think you can you know you can make a case that you want to replace I mean there are on-court reasons to do some things there are off-court reasons to to do some things and I guess I'm I'm conflating off-court with the effort piece so that's that's not fair but um but yeah so I mean like what when when this comes to mind for you how how drastic are we talking of an of an overhaul on on the roster um is it just replacing guys whose contracts are up and, and going a different direction in terms of the mentality of those guys, the, the veteran presence of those guys, or is it something bigger? Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest way is to start with your incumbent free agents and what did they add to the team? I think nothing. I don't think Derek favors added anything. I don't think each one more added anything. I don't think Frank Jackson added anything. I don't think Kendrick, ja, all those guys, I don't think any single one should be a person you should prioritize bringing back. Now, if you get a deal where they're absurdly cheap, sure. But you know what you got from these guys. You know they're not changing your culture. You know they're not making an impact there. So I think that's where you start. You, you should feel no remorse in letting them go if they are beyond whatever price tag you've set for them initially. And I think some of them outright, I just don't think you should bring back. I don't think you should bring Ja back. I don't think you should bring Etwan back. Um, personally, I don't think you should bring favors back, but – there is a good argument there with the Pelicans ability to upgrade at a big, if you let favors walk would be limited to the MLE. And do you really want to spend your MLE right. on I'm a sure big yeah. versus yeah. you bring back favors for however much money and then you spend your MLE on another position in need. I think that's a legitimate roster building argument. So I can yeah. see that uh, playing into the equation when they're deciding to bring favors back. But you know, like, a lot of these guys, like you stand to lose nothing by moving them. And then as far as the guys under contract, I think the only untouchables should be Zion and BI. And I think you should be open to moving any and all of the other guys should the right opportunities arise. But that doesn't mean you're aggressively shopping. So like I would not aggressively shop Hart, um, Jackson. And that's about it. I wouldn't aggressively shop those. I, I probably wouldn't shop like, Nah, but I would definitely be like more open to to let it, like trading him. I think everyone else like Drew. Um, I think it should be well known he should be on the market. JJ, I think I should be on the market, and Lonzo should be on the market. I would shop ag- Lonzo aggressively. <laughs> let's, I, I let's hold on. Let's wait on that discussion because I'm sure that'll be Pandora's box that gets opened on that. But um, so that I think that's so a lot of interesting points there. I think um, it's 
it's tough to reckon, not tough, but it's, it's interesting to try to reconcile that with how we talked earlier about how this team needs vets. You can't just go in with a bunch of kids. And I think the bubble kind of showed um, who cared and who didn't. Um, and so, I, you know, I know on one hand, yeah, you can move a guy like JJ, but what are you going to get for him? And does it uh, supersede the value he brings to the locker room on the court? Cause I mean, you saw that last game of the bubble or, or against the Spurs, like he, he gave a shit and not many other guys in the court appeared to do that. And so, um, so there's that question on, are you, you know, if you're trading JJ or Drew, if you get the right offer for him, you gotta, you gotta replace them with, and not with kids. You gotta, you gotta have, find the right balance again of, of vets and, and young players on this roster. Um, but I, so I, I wanted to actually, the thing that caught my uh, attention first that you said is everyone except for Zion and BI is untouchable. And so I thought I'm, I'm a little, just a little surprised that you included BI on that just because I, 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 he, he was an all-star for New Orleans this year. He's fantastic, but you can't argue with the fact that he, he was flat as hell in the, in the bubble, especially defensively. And so again, I am not looking to trade BI. I'm with you, but I'm not putting him in the Zion bucket of being untouchable. I put him in the untouchable bucket because I think his contract is as good as wrapped up. So right now, only if you'd be moving him, it'd be like a sign and trade situation. Fair enough. And I think at this stage, you're not going to be blown away by an offer by B. I, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to like put conditions on it. I want to see at least a season and a half more of Zion and BI yeah. before, before I even go down the road of exploring what, what I want to do with those guys or what I want to do with BI. I could, you know, I, I think, I think the challenges that exist, I, I, people keep talking about the offense with those guys and making, creating the, an environment that, that those two work together offensively. I'm not, that'll, I think that'll figure itself out. I, I'm more concerned about after what I saw in the bubble, and this is a small sample size, obviously, but there's a little bit of evidence on this in the regular season too, is the defense. Like that's, if those two guys don't get demonstrably better, at least one of them gets demonstrably better on the defensive end you're going to have a hard time building a solid defense around those guys. And so that's, that's what I'm looking at more than, more than the offensive end, I think. That is the single thing that gives me the biggest anxiety when I look at this team five years down the line and I'm like, what is my pathway to being a title contender, not a good playoff team, a title contender. And the biggest thing that gives me anxiety is I don't know how the hell to construct a good defense around <laughs> Zion and BI with them being. It's because Gentry doesn't coach defense, man. Yeah, man, that's because, yeah, Gentry doesn't coach defense. No, I, I, I legitimately, <laughs> you know, I, I want to be optimistic that Zion figures out his body issues and works on them to the extent where he can become the force he was at Duke. I want to be optimistic. Now, if that ever happens, then the pathway becomes a lot more easier. But to me, B.I. will always – I don't care that he's 22 right now. I think he will always be a liability on defense and always be someone that you have to put on the lowest usage guy, lowest usage perimeter guy on the other team and just kind of hide away in the corner. And so if that's the case, well, you ideally want some big wings that are multi-positional and can be hard-nosed defenders and defend basically one through three – okay, let's say you get those guys. Well, how many of those guys are also going to be shock creators? Because 
if you fill the other perimeter position up with those wing type players, and let's say Lonzo is one of those wings, right? Let's say Lonzo at six, six, he's one of those multi-positional wings and you get a guy that's a three and D player that, that slides in and you're effectively playing Ingram at the two. I worry so much about shot creation. I worry so much about someone being able to get into the paint and create shots reliably because Ingram is too slow. He doesn't have the handle. And even if he gets the handle, I think he's too slow and he's going to be bumped off all the time and get ripped in traffic just because of how slow he is. Um, I have zero hope for Lonzo ever developing to the level that's needed in that area. And so if that's the case, you got all that going on. And then you're also looking for a big that can potentially stretch the floor for Zion, because if you're playing a non-shooting big next to Zion, then that creates even more issues. So to me, that that's just, it's such an awkward fit of team building and that's what gives me the biggest anxiety and ultimately if I follow this the logical conclusion I think you know five four or five years from now before Ingram's contract max contract is up um maybe like three four years from now he's moved in a DeRozan type deal for that that next star I think that is Ingram's fate with the Pelicans and that's the pessimist in me yeah, I mean, and we there's and as much as we like to not say it, there's that we all have some element of recency bias, right? And so we saw, uh, and and not to say Ingram was good this year and defensively he was not, um, but it was. Oh, I, I'll say it. Was, it. I think he was one of the worst defenders for his positions this year, um, and I think he has been through his whole career. I think anyone saying that he was a good defender, I think it's all Lakers propaganda. I think I think that's just like the, a product <laughs> of people who are on the Lakers roster that get this like glamour about them that people are like, oh, this guy was really good at this and this and that that. No, that's just Laker fans talking out the ass. Like, I it's just it was the same thing with Julius Randle, right? It was advertised at this like bully of a defender that tries really hard, and he was a disaster. And he always was. People were like, oh, well, before he was traded with the Pelicans, he had a really good defensive year. He was one of our best defenders on the seventh best defense. He had the worst defensive metrics on that Lakers team. Their defensive rating was a team worse, 112 with him on the floor. And it was like 10 points better whenever he left. Like Randall was a total disaster and always has been. I think it's the same thing with, with Ingram. And, and I worry that, you know, that that's just going to be the case forever with him. And I think it is because I think what it is, is it's an issue of being slow. It's an issue of being not physical and I think the biggest issue is the, is the issue in the head where I think he just recognizes situations very slowly. I think he needs to take his time. And even when you watch him play offense, it's a pump fake. It's a dribble dribble because, you know, he's sizing up the opponent. He doesn't know what move to make next. Ball, the ball swinging back and forth, back and forth, gets to him. It sticks because he needs a second to process what the correct decision is. And doesn't mean he necessarily makes the wrong one. But that's more affordable on offense. It's just not affordable on defense where you need reactions. And for a guy that's 6'9 or 6'7, but he has a 7'3 wingspan, whatever his uh, height is doesn't matter, but he has a 7'3 wingspan, the guy with his physical tools, he has one of the worst block and steal rates in the league. And and this year it, it slowly improved. He got, I think, better, a little bit better than his previous averages. But, like, that's before the – before the AD trade, that's what I called out. I was like, this guy, you know, he gives you nothing on the defensive end. And then he was a huge question mark on offense. And now, well, 
that question mark is lifted on on offense and he's he's a bona fide scorer on offense and I think that has value and I think it's going to continue to have value for the Pelicans I'm just worried about everything else yeah yeah I I, I hear you and and I, I do think we maybe like the the Zion Williamson is not Anthony Bennett on defense like it, this year yeah he wasn't good but I mean, you look at all this, the draft profiles of scouting reports like this, the, the, the guy that we saw on defense for the Pelicans this year is not what people project for him to be eventually. And so I'm not saying that I never think Zion's going to be a good defender. I think we don't, we don't have, we don't have nearly enough information to make that call. But I do think that even if he becomes that plus defender, that uh, switchable guy on defense that we hope he can be, it's still a weird fit with B.I., right? Because uh, – and so that way you, you'd say, okay, if Zion's a good defender, we can live with B.I. being a bad defender. But how do they fit together? I mean, like, if you, are you closing games with B.I. at the four and Zion at the five? Because then, I mean, which I, I, everyone kind of talked about how, how long it's going to take for Zion to eventually be that guy you close with at the five. That still creates its own set of problems in interior defense and rebounding. Like, that's, that's a huge, huge concern if you're going to go four or five with Ingram and Zion. And, like – uh, it's there's it's just it's tough to visualize like you said I mean we're just kind of reiterating the point around how the it's one even if you say one plus one minus defender it's how they fit together as well and so yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to to plan out long term so I, I I don't necessarily disagree with the the notion that you know Ingram is here for now but if how can you create that true title contender with those two um, on, on defense it's got to be a pretty perfect roster construction so and this is I mean it's it's a it's a long-term discussion to have it's not something that they need to figure out this summer obviously but they got a lot of other things to figure out this summer but I think it's an important discussion to start having and you can be sure that Griff and some of the other guys in the front office are already thinking about it yeah for sure I think there's not anything specifically in the bubble that they're taking away I think it's reinforced perhaps a lot of the fears that they may have had not with regards to Ingram or anything specifically, but as a whole uh, looking long-term and with how some of the current pieces fit. So they definitely have their job cut out for them. That being said, you know, we, I, I expect Ingram back at the max basically. Uh, instant. I would give it to him instantly. So I don't want to, I don't, right? yeah, I don't want to make it around. seem like, yeah, I don't want to make it seem like I don't want that. Like you max Brent Ingram this second and you figure out the rest later. <laughs> yeah. You, you work with that talent again. He's a, he's a supreme offensive talent at 22, and that's useful. And I think I do think there are ways to mitigate everything else by fixing the rest of the roster. And I think it starts with getting an actual shot creator. I think that will make everyone's lives so much easier because you get a guy that can get into the paint on a regular basis and create off of that you're creating like two or three open looks for Derek favors who he's probably not going to be back. So I'm talking about retrospective on this, on this season, you're creating two or three open looks for Derek favors on dump off passes. You know, we don't have a guard drew tries his best. And it's, it's really difficult because of, of the way this team dynamic is, but he's, he's not, he's not, he's not a real point guard. Right but he tries his best at it. But if you had like a real point guard who got into the teeth of the defense and gave those easy dump off passes to the dunker spot uh, where, where Derek favors would be, that's, you know, two extra looks a game or two extra looks a game from Melly from three, where you get into the teeth of defense, it collapses and you kick out for an open three. We don't have guys that can do that with regularity. We just don't. 
And even if you give all of that usage to Brandon Ingram, that's such a taxing way to play mentally. I don't think it will work well with him. Now, do the Pelicans owe it to themselves to try to give him a higher diet of picket rolls and, uh, and all of that? Absolutely, especially in crunch time. I think Zion and Ingram pick and roll should be a staple, but they need a guy that can really set the table for others, really make the defense adjust and move and and control the game the way it needs to be controlled. And Lonzo definitely is not that guy. Yeah, and like and like you said, Drew is a guy who can do some of this stuff decently well, but it's just he's the best option they got. And so um, I def- definitely agree there. And I guess the the, the question – I mean, you're not going to – you're not going to find that guy for the MLE, right? And so, I mean, if you do, you, he's you're giving up a ton on the other parts of his game, most likely. So, like, um, that's a, a another longer term question, obviously. Um, but have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up, on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code PELICAN or DealDash.fm slash PELICAN. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash Pelican. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Any any other thoughts around uh, roster roster construction or, um, you know, th- things to do this summer uh, that we haven't dug into yet? Well, we have a lot of questions that have been asked by people True. that yep. are – we'll probably get into a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I think – you know, just going back to the coaching stuff, let's talk about some of the candidates yeah. that have been mentioned. Now, they mentioned the Wojnarowski report mentioned Ty Lu and Jason Kidd, mm-hmm. which I think got a lot of attention from Pelicans fans and not good attention. Yeah. So, first of all, do you have any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm happy with the the Lou name first because first of all like he him I mean I think most people are saying him and Kenny Atkinson are the two names this summer like that are whatever the hell season it's going to be when we have the off season um and so and I think for good reason uh you know Ty Lou's got the got the resume he's I I, I think <laughs> I'm not going to go into details on on why I think fans have kind of dismissed him but uh, I don't think they should. I think he um, has he did a great job of balancing working on a LeBron with a LeBron team and making positive changes in the playoffs. I mean, he's he's had nice runs, and you can say, oh, well, LeBron gets you to the East Finals in the East no matter what. Which and you know, 
relatively true fine but I, I think he's he's gotten the best of other good coaches and I, and I think that's that's a totally fair argument and he's come up I mean he would he started his uh you know he started his post NBA career in uh player development for the Celtics I mean like he's got he's got this good track record of kind of being on both sides not just uh not just straight to coaching did a little development too and so I, I mean I I feel good about his candidacy and I'd be happy if he's a, he's the guy in a, a hiring. The other guy gives me a lot of concerns for many, many reasons. Most of all the off the court stuff with Jason Kidd, like he's a non-starter for me. I would be very upset uh, if he's seriously considered. I think it sends the wrong message, especially when you have uh, such great people on staff already, specifically females like, like Swin and Teresa. I don't think it sends the right message regardless, but it's a mixed message at best uh, with, a, you know, someone like Jason, Jason Kidd, who's already, you know, pled guilty to spousal abuse. I just, I just, I hate it. Um, and so hopefully it's not, and you know, I don't, I don't know much about what's real and what's not, but uh, that's, you know, that's, um, I feel pretty passionate about both these guys. One blue mostly because um, I feel like some fans don't give him the credit he deserves. And then uh, with Kid, I just he's I don't like him as a person. <laughs> I think if Jason Kidd is hired, I think there needs to be significant public outcry mm-hmm. over this decision because it flies in the face of everything Griffith said about oh you know we love we we love great human beings. That's the most important part. You know it's it's important that they're good players and talented, but we we want the best human right and and jason kidd like you said he's pled guilty to spousal abuse um hasn't he had a few duis as well yeah okay and he's every stop that he's had as a coach he's gotten power hungry and gone Mm -hmm. behind the back of the executive to try to make plays with ownership in order to gain more power all right and so jason kidd no matter how well behaved he may be in la working with LeBron and working under Frank Vogel. I think if that is, that even becomes close to a hiring, if, if there's like word going out that the Pelicans are seriously considering him or there's, there's any kind of interviewing, I think that is something David Griffin needs to be called out on. Um, 100%. So that's where I feel about kid uh, with, with Ty Lue, Again, my stance on coaches is, I don't know what these guys are good at, and you don't either. Uh, not you specifically. You, no, you're you right. Me, me too. I, I, right. I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> right. So so please, like, you know, everyone's like, what about Becky Hammond? What about this person? You don't know the first thing about these people. You don't know <laughs> the first thing about how they operate in the locker room. You don't know how they work with management. You don't know how they work with analytics. You don't know how they work with the med staff. You don't know how they talk to players. You don't know what their prep work is like. You don't even know what kind of X's and O's they know. Everyone that says Gentry doesn't run plays, man, y'all could have named five plays that the Pelicans run. Just because you don't understand basketball, just because you don't understand basic plays, <laughs> does not mean these coaches, especially a guy like Gentry, who has been an offensive guru for 30-plus years and set up the Golden State Warriors and the Clippers before that the way they were, you can't tell me – this guy doesn't run plays just because you can't recognize what a simple hammer is or you don't know what a floppy action is or you don't know what horns, you know, like 
you, you don't know more than five basic actions. Get out of here. Like, just, just please don't give me any of that. So I don't know what Lou is like. The only thing I have on Lou on the surface level is, like you said, he worked with a LeBron-led team. And I'll add to that, there was another personality in there, Kyrie Irving, who was not necessarily easy to deal with. And he worked in the highest pressure environment where he went head-to-head with Steve Kerr and won. So people are like, okay, well, that's a LeBron thing to do. And you're right. Talent matters. Talent matters for every single coach, which is why I'm more interested in how Griff plans on addressing the talent issue on this team. But I, you know, I think that. So you wait. So are you telling me that just going to find the, uh, the most under the radar head assist or assistant coach from a really good team doesn't make you clever or make you ahead of the curve on the coaching search? Yeah, just because you want to be a basketball hipster and find out. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, that's fine. You know, some assistants end up working out fantastically. Other assistants end up failing miserably. You don't know any better than I do. And I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about these guys. So if you want to have an opinion, by all means, just stay out of my mentions when you tell me this guy doesn't know X's and O's or this guy doesn't do these things, whatever, man. Yeah. uh, Nothing more to add. That was fun. (laughs) Right. But I mean, I ideally what I want with a coach is someone that is organizationally aligned with Griff in a way that Gentry wasn't. Hopefully someone that can get to the players who clearly obviously can't get to themselves and clearly obviously need something because apparently an elimination game seven with the entire staff and, and management telling you this is important, isn't enough to get them going. Well, maybe a new guy that's not part of the team can. Um, and, but more importantly, I, I hope he's supplied with a really good coaching staff and given the proper resources to succeed. So I, th- yeah. I think, you know, Andrew Smith, our, our wonderful photographer who is in Japan right now, said he would love like a Tai Lu and Fizdale power combo. I mean, that'd be fantastic just from what I know about these people on the surface level. But then again, I have no idea what these guys are like behind the scenes. You know, Fizdale was fired from both jobs, Memphis and New York. So is he a good coach or not? I don't know. Does he get along with management? I don't know. Does he have a winning record? No. Isn't that what everyone's criteria was? Oh, well, Alvin has a career losing record. Great. Everyone that wants Atkinson, what's his winning record? Doesn't have one. So I don't know anything about these guys, and and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think, you know, we, 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 I've, talked enough about uh, apart from the article you recently wrote around uh, about, you know, how to, how to draft the only, the other article I've probably shared almost as much in the last month or two is that Seth partner article about coaches, head coaches and what they actually do. Like it's so much more than what people think. And then we've already talked about this topic at least once in this podcast. So I won't go into, I won't go on a tangent again, but like, it's, it's just, there's so much more to it than we know. And I, I'm with you. The one thing I will push back on slightly, um, and maybe this isn't much of a pushback, is um, I, if there's some like con- some level of conflict or disagreement between coach and the, and and management, like Griff, I don't. That's fine. 
uh, I think that's healthy. I think pushing, pushing your uh, other leaders in the organization to think critically and, and problem solve is okay. Um, you don't want them butting heads completely, obviously. You want them generally aligned, but I think it's okay to have some, some disagreements. Um, and, I, and I think you're, you're spot on with the, with the coaching staff comments. It's, it's, really, it's really about building a, you know, the entire group. And I think that's, that's the other frustrating part about the conversations around Alvin Gentry is that everyone who, hate, who consistently criticizes Gentry will also be quick to say, yeah, like this coaching staff was built pretty well. Well, you, you can't have it both ways. Uh, you, can't, you can't just blame Alvin. You can't cherry pick. So uh, you just pick, pick a side and stick with it. Yeah, I agree that diversity of thought is important as well as challenging. What I mean by alignment is, is alignment on a long-term philosophy yep. of what you're trying to accomplish. And you set aside these goals and you may disagree about like how you're trying to achieve those goals, but you know, what you're, what you're trying to accomplish is essentially the same thing. Where misalignment happens is when, where Ty Lu was first let go in Cleveland, they started 0 for 6. Ty Lu wanted to play J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, uh, and some of those bets that had won a championship he didn't want to play rookies. He wanted, it was a post LeBron year. And he's like, how can I not play these guys who won a championship? How do I tell them you're not playing, you know? And the management was like, no, we want you to play these, these rookies and these young players. So we can effectively position ourselves for a better draft pick. Same thing with Kenny Atkinson in, in uh, Brooklyn. He wanted to play Jared Allen. He wanted to play those younger guys who were frankly better than, than DeAndre Jordan, but it didn't align with the vision of the stars, Kyrie and Kevin Durant and who had brought in DeAndre Jordan. And there was this political um, grapple there where Atkinson just, I guess, didn't connect with the stars. And that's, that's an issue too. Not, not because necessarily that Atkinson was wrong in wanting to play the guys he wanted to play, but you know, as, as a coach, you have a duty to manage the egos of your stars. And if you're failing to do that, then you can't be the coach. And so I think those things are where alignment is important rather than, you know, I'm not talking about like, if, if Griff says you got to do this, um, like, you know, Griff says like, we're trying to make the playoffs and the guy, the guy says, Oh, actually I'm trying to develop kids or vice versa. I think that's, that's the, the misalignment that I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, 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 I hashtag trust the process. Um, as long as it's not Jason Kidd, I think that's, I, that I feel, I feel comfortable saying that. And again, like Jason Kidd, it's entirely possible that he ends up being a fantastic coach and all of that. I don't care. I, I just don't care. Um, I'm, pretty adamant about not having that kind of toxicity in, in, in our locker room, especially for an organization that uh, employs people like swing cash and Teresa Weatherspoon. Exactly. Yep. All right. What else, what else we got? We, we, we nailed the, we talked, we talked about the roster construction piece, the, uh, I, I guess so the, the coaching piece, what, I guess you hit on it lightly and I feel like we should talk about it a little bit more. Maybe I think we probably have some questions about it too, but what do you have a strong feeling around the the favors topic? And so like, if, 
if you can keep him for a year and overpay him for a year and not be close to the luxury tax line or anything like that, and then spend that MLE money on a different position of need, would you rather do that? Or are you so, and, and like, so I think we both realize that, that the, the rationalization for that option, and, and if the Pelicans go down that path, I'm not upset about it. But if you were making the call, would you, and even if you could do that with favors, would you do it? If I'm making the call, bye. <laughs> so you're, you're if, and so you're, I guess, yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'll let you go. Go ahead. <laughs> so if I'm making the call, I'm done. I don't care about the bird right stuff. I would pursue a sign-in trade pretty heavily, actually, just to get like anything back whether it's a fake second round pick or another player, someone's going to be interested in favors and someone's going to want to hold on to their MLE just because there's no cap space going around and they're not going to want to offer him that. So a sign and trade I think could be an amenable option, especially because the Pelicans have bird rights and can even overpay him greater than the MLE to make it happen. So that's my priority. Number one, figure out a sign and trade for him, figure out a destination where he wants to go to and accommodate and make sure he's well paid and, he, it's a win-win situation. He's gone. He's paid. He goes where he wants to go, and he's not on the Pelicans. Option number two, uh, or yeah, step number two, not option number two, is replacing him, right? So I think McNamara's kind of tweeted about this, but kind of, you know, if you're not able to get a, a solid guy for the minimum, like if you're not able to get a Dwight Howard or um, shoot even a Javel, like a, a veteran starter that can play those 20-ish, 23-ish minutes, 25-ish minutes a game um, for, for the veteran men, then go get a bevy of bigs that can kind of rotate and basically you're issuing a challenge where you're like, all right, <clears throat> I got three guys, uh, three young hungry guys. So let's say, you know, I, I like Isaiah Hardenstein. Uh, he's seven foot tall he's super athletic and rebound the ball plays really hard runs hard you know he played for the Rockets and played productive minutes for them get a guy like that get a guy like Norvell Pell get a guy like Nerlens Noel you know he's not going to get let go by OKC Thunder but that kind of mold where it's the young forgotten big that that people uh, need to take a chance on get a bunch of those guys get two or three of those guys and line them up next to Jacks and be like all right you know the starting spot is up for grabs. Whoever plays the hardest, whoever shows me the most is going to have it. And you're essentially just rotating a bunch of hard playing, relatively young players. And, and got, and maybe you find a gem there, you know, maybe you find a, a keeper as a spot starter that really works with your group, but essentially you just want to incentivize these guys to get out there and just play hard. Uh, that would be my approach to the big situation because I would be spending a fair number of those other minutes giving to giving them to Jackson Hayes, giving them to Melly or whatever other big's going to be on there as a, a stretch center or Zion at center. So like, I'm only looking for a guy that's going to take up like 23 minutes a game. That's the, as a spot starter that can bang with the big guys. Yeah. And so I think that's a very interesting point And one I actually, so I posed to some of my buddies in our, our Pelicans group group chat about if favors told you, he would come back and he's okay not starting uh, and would sign like a one-year just inflated deal. Would, would you do it? And so at first that sounds like, okay, yeah, you, you can just, you can get favors and you don't have to worry about like, you know, hurting his feelings if he's not starting. But also the question quickly becomes, well, okay, so what do you do at starter? It's, it's a, Jackson Hayes isn't ready. And if you have Derek favors there and he's not starting, 
Jackson Hayes suddenly becomes your third center. And like that, that's going to stun his development. You don't want that. And so like, I quickly realized the question was stupid and like, not, not something we should be considering. So either it's favors is that guy again, and you bring him back with his bird rights and you go use the MLE for something else or B option B is you use MLE for your spots uh, starter center or option C is you still use that money somewhere else. And just, you know, like you kind of alluded to, have a you know bring someone in for the biannual or the or a, a guy you you know a minimum or something something like that where you feel like he fits and maybe he's undervalued and you just you know you you know what he is and what he isn't and you, you if you feel like he's better fit than favors you just go with it and so um, I, I think you've got all these options and I don't see a specifically a bad one beyond giving favors more than a one-year contract uh, that would be bad in my eyes. Um, but um, even, I mean, if you give him like a w- 1 million partial guarantee for the second year, whatever, but like, I'm talking like two years guaranteed that I, I don't, I don't see a, a way in which that works out well. Um, so I, I think there's, there are some, some paths that you can go down here and, and find success. So well, not, there's not the other, the other path here is exploring a sign and trade from another option or exploring a trade for another option where basically, you know, I'm using Darius's Miller contract as an expiring $7 million. And let's say I send Darius Miller and a couple of second round picks to, to Cleveland for Tristan Thompson. And they sign and trade Tristan Thompson for X amount of money. You know, what does that look like? I'm not dipping into the MLE. I've effectively not really raised my salary all too much because I've sent out Darius Miller. Um, and at the cost of it was a couple of seconds, right? And those seconds, the Pelicans have a million of. What if they, they sent Darius Miller in a, a second for, for Cody Zeller? You know, guys like that who are acquirable, that won't take much to get, I think those are also options that the Pelicans can pursue. Darius Miller, man. Talk about, I, talk about an easy 15 mil if they pick up that option, huh? <laughs> Give Is, me, how, how do I get that job? <laughs> you are tall and can shoot threes. <laughs> I, I want to, I can be salary filler for a, for an NBA team. I don't have to play. Just, just pay me and trade me. Oh man. Like that's uh, yeah. That's so that's definitely another interesting option. And I, I, I do wonder what the odds are that they pick, pick up his, his uh, player option for that reason. I think it'd be a disaster if you didn't use him as a trade chip because you just paid $7 million to a man you know is coming off of an Achilles injury to so do nothing. Yeah, but like uh, you – I mean, yeah, I know it's you a knew he was going. Yeah, you, you paid him originally to potentially be a trade chip last year, right? And that didn't, that didn't play out for whatever reason. Um, and but so you double you, dip into the trade you, chip. You double down, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, whatever. Sports are coming back. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans and the series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up to date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts.
have PenFed, that's a fact. I have PenFed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, figgins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello everyone, my name's Colin Kelly and I have one question for you. Do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.